yeah. so you have your drums, you have like three kick drums and they're submixed to the, the kick submix and the three snares or the snare submix and then all the drums are in the drum submix too. Yeah. Just true. record it good. Sorry. Like, <laughs> I'm a little bitter about that. I've been doing multi tracks like that the last couple of weeks where I'm like, uh, I have like three kick sounds. And they're like, oh, but this one has like the top kick, and this one's got the whap in it really good. This one's got the th-. like. Why don't you just like, I don't know, do better, well, record part, good, part, part, right? of, part of <laughs> yeah, record good. good. Thank you. You're listening to the GWNL podcast, guys with no lives talking about audio. Welcome to GWNL episode six, guys with no lives talking about audio because they have nothing better to do and too much time on their hands. That's not true. I barely have enough time to make it to this podcast every <laughs> week. My name is Joe. We have Ben and Bryant. Say hi, guys. What's hi, up? guys. That's oh my No, I'm kidding. I don't actually hate him. Don't do that. I did that. Um, I did that. I pulled that. Yeah. So this week in episode six, we're talking about submixes, groups, VCAs, multi-tracks versus stems and something, some other things too. So with that being said, why don't we start off with Bryant? How about you give us uh, multi-tracks versus stems? Ready, go. Yeah. Okay. So uh, a lot of times people use multi-tracks and stems interchangeably in like vernacular, but that's not actually correct to use them interchangeably they are different so uh really a multi like multi-tracks are the individual tracks so if you have like 10 guitars 10 drum tracks 10 vocal tracks and that's your session you would send that you you would send those 30 tracks off and those are the multi-tracks now stems are different in that they are a summed version of all of those tracks in that they're summed into a stereo uh, stereo mix. So if I were to send the stems for that same session, instead of sending 30 tracks, I would send three tracks, a stereo left, right of the drums, stereo left, right of the guitars, and then stereo left, right of the vocals. So, or six yeah. tracks, really. Yeah. 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 I guess like, six tracks technically. And I mean, if we're talking stereo. technically stereo is actually LCR. So you'd be sending oh like goodness. nine tracks because done. let's be mm-hmm. honest. Yeah. That's the truth. It's different. Okay. Stereo history, <gasps> history yeah. of stereo. Look it it's up. True. All right. Okay. Yes. Yes. But it stereo, as we talk about it is left, right. We're not talking about true stereo left, center, right. Okay. We, we just corrected people who use <laughs> stems and multi-tracks. I figure we might as well set <laughs> do, the whole record straight. Do All not right. do not use stems. For multi-tracks, when if if somebody says send yeah. me your stems, you need to clarify. Do you mean the multi-tracks or the stems? Because honestly, there's been a few times where somebody was like, "Hey, will you send me the drum stems?" I was like, "Yeah, here you go." And I sent them a stereo left, right, and they're like, "Oh, well, where's the individual tracks?" I'm like, "You said you said you wanted a drum stem." I mean, we've like, all we've all made no. this mistake at some point in our career no. because we didn't know any better. I mean, half the struggle in audio is learning all the daggum terminology. That's different depending on who you talk to. It's true. It's yeah. true. But this is something that has become more of an issue in the last um, in the last five years or so. Before that, they were commonly referred to everything was commonly referred to correctly. Multitracks were the individual files and stems were like the submixes. But in the last five years, like for some reason, they've kind of mixed up and, and people have been referring to stems part of it, as I multitracks. Think, yeah. I think like part of it stems from the fact that more technology is easily available. And like 
anyone can get like a scarlet it's within their prosumer price range and then just start recording things and you know yeah yeah but but yeah stems are stems are really important um they get used a lot for live shows like tracks and live shows where you have uh, a percussion stem or you know um background vocals stem um they also get used in in edit in in remixing or or i mean re-recording or mixing for for um film and where you actually have like stems of the music or stems of dialogue and stuff it's just kind of like everything's a mix down so you don't have to deal with all the multi-tracks yeah um, even in like a in, in a film setting like somebody somebody mixing a film is still going to have you know multiple tracks of things but you know they're not going to have when, when you mic up an orchestra you, you're, you're going to use a lot of mics uh, sometimes people use upwards of 100 inputs you know even 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 more than that but when they deliver that to the mixing engineer, they're not delivering a hundred tracks um, for film. Usually, it will it will be submixed first, and then they will deliver. Oh, here's the cello section, here's the bass section, and it's it's just like a stereo yeah. lift, right? Or at the minimum, here's here's the percussion, here's the strings, here's the horns, and here's the woodwinds. But yeah, it's true because it's just too much to handle when you've got a hundred tracks worth of dialogue and a hundred tracks worth of sound effects. To have a hundred tracks worth of music too, so all of those get submixed down. But those are, yeah, those are the stems where, whereas multi-tracks is each individual track. Right. And so yeah. I think this is a this is a good lead into essentially the rest of what we're talking about. Essentially organizing and grouping things so that it's more manageable in your sessions or in your live shows. Um, for me, I'm a live engineer and I use extensively DCAs and VCAs as well as submixes to an extent. It's a little different because like with like a session, you can submix and create like an actual submix, bounce that and import that bounced audio stereo section back in. In live, it's a little different. There's a few extra steps, but let me just explain what VCAs and DCAs are. So <clears throat> there is an old adage that I found out recently as I've done more research on uh, modular synthesizers as well as what a VCA is. So the original term was a VCA or voltage controlled amplifier. Um, all that means or voltage controlled am amplification. Long story short, voltage controls volume, VCV. Voltage always controls volume. We use voltage as control when we talk about um, signal in any kind of a device that we use in audio and, and a lot of other things too, but specifically in audio. So when they talk about VCAs, a voltage controlled amplifier, what they're talking about is it's a, it's a volume knob for a group of instruments. So like a good example is I'll run my whole drum set as a VCA. And what happens is I can balance my drum set. So my kick might be zero and I might bring my snare down a little bit because I, you know, he might be hitting it and I might be getting a little bit too much transient and it might, it just might stick out a little bit more in the mix, blah, blah, blah. So I have different things at different levels. Overheads are lower or higher, right? When I touch my VCA that controls all eight of my drum tracks, um, kick, snare, tom, 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 overhead, hi-hat, overhead, whatever, right? That VCA then adjusts the levels of all of those things in relation to each other. So if my kick is at zero and I bring my VCA down by three dB, it brings my kick down by three dB. And then the other thing that was down six dB, it's gonna bring down exactly proportionate 
to the 3db that i have brought my vca down now vcas and dcas are the same thing the difference is a dca is a digitally controlled amplifier they're literally the same thing it's just one's digitally controlled because now we do everything digitally well most things digitally and that's that's really what a vca and a dca is it's really a volume control for a group of things and that's essentially all it does yeah the big thing about that yeah is that the amplifier that they're referring to is really like your fader sort of thing and um it's it's the point is that it your fader is controlling that amplifier with the movement of the fader, but this is controlling that amplifier with changes of voltages. So it's right. not actually moving the fader. And the key thing is, is that you're moving those drums down by adjusting the VCA, but it's not actually moving the faders. It's moving, it's adjusting the output level of each one of those faders, each one of those amplifiers. And an important thing to remember when you're mixing live is if you mute your DCA, this you'll make this mistake, you'll mute your DCA and you'll forget you've muted it. And then you go to like make noise and you're not hearing anything. And you're like, why am I not hearing anything? So you check your masters, you check all this other stuff and you forgot you're muted your VCAs yeah. or your DCAs. I, I've done this a and number it's, of times. It's the worst yeah. thing, I know. Super it's annoying. Always, like it's like when you, when you have no sound on your console, in a live setting, it's like, and everything looks fine. It's like always the DC. Like I'm getting input problem. signal. I know my stage yeah. box is connected. Like, yeah. Yeah. yeah, and everything looks fine. That's the crazy thing. Everything looks totally fine, and your fader moves. But yeah, that's what a VCA is. Cool. Super um, useful. Just remember, you can mute groups with that. So, like, I'll sorry. Side note, use case: you'll mute like your um, drum set VCA, or I'm. I'll mute my drum set VCA, my guitar VCA, and like all, everything but my vocals so that we can have talking. That's what I'll do sometimes. So that's a cool use that you can do with VCAs. Anyways, next topic is submixes and groups. and Yeah, so uh, yeah, so groups and submixes um, are both just a little bit different than the, the VCAs and DCAs. So a group is where you're actually grouping together a bunch of track the controls of a of a handful of tracks so like when you move the fader of one all the faders move up and down together when you hit the mute button on one of the members of the group all of them mute at the same time or solo at the same time so that's what grouping is it's just grouping the controls but like this hasn't done anything with the outputs or anything it's really similar to the vca except the vca is like grouping the output of that it's not actually grouping the movement of the fader, um, if that makes sense. I think but, another uh, important yeah, thing with that is, um, you know, it, so in a, in a live sound situation, you know, grouping is just the controls, but like in a soft like recording situation, in addition to the controls, uh, you can group how you edit as well. So you can like literally like like for drums, essentially, you can make sure you do all your cuts at the same point and so when you group you only have to do that one cut and it does all the cuts throughout all the regions yeah whereas, that's um, true that is the big benefit yeah, of it so. and it's also with the automation too yeah. so um yeah so it's really powerful um then there's submixes which submixes are different than groups in the sense that a submix is literally sending the output of all of these selected tracks to another location so through a bus, yeah, to yeah. to to like an augs or, or or an output or something like that. So a submix is taking like all your drums, the output of all your drums, to the drum bus, 
and then now you have your your drum augs or your drum submix that has that actual audio passing through. The benefit of that, I mean, first of all, it's similar because you can just move that submix bus and and it adjusts the volume of, of the output of the drums. You can mute it or solo it in a similar way. But the big thing is the audio is passing through there so you can slap a, a compressor on there or an EQ and you can actually put processing on the whole submix. And then of course, you can also um, export that as a submix and then there's your stems. So the submix is kind of what can create the stem. The stems. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And I mean, there's a lot of different use cases. So each of these have different like use cases and, and needs. I mean, I brought up the whole VCA thing, like in a live situation, that makes sense. I'm even going to say this. I use submixing in uh, live because I don't have to use all of my digital mix buses on my, on my board for just outputs. That's, I mean, like at lower levels at like the basic level on that. Yeah. You use your aux sends as your monitor mixes and like, you know, any other, output mixes like i'll do like a matrix out of my oh yeah and that's another thing i should probably talk about matrixes yeah. um so matrixes are not for input tracks so like microphone tracks it's, uh, matrixes are actually for outputs and so like i can take my master output and i can then send that to matrix one and that's now going to be a duplicate it's like it's like a mix bus for outputs, essentially, is kind of the simple way to put it. Because you're sending that audio yeah. essentially to another location. Or an augs, or an augs for right. master tracks, yeah. So like a lot of use cases is you'll use press boxes in live for your matrix out. So you'll have like an extra matrix out that's just a duplicate off of your master. So you don't have to worry about mixing a broadcast mix for like a news reporter or something. Now it's not, obviously it's not gonna sound the same, like going to yeah. them because you're you're hearing it live through speakers they're going to be hearing it direct so whatever but i use a lot of my matrixes um live these days is so that i can control my balance between my subs my centers and my left and right and so i'll use my master and then i'll route that to three matrixes and then i'll have one as my sub matrix my center and my left right and so now the cool thing about that is i can then balance them levels and i can add limiters i can add compression other compression i can add um equalization i can do post-processing and, and like processing on each of those different things because you might not process on your subs the same way you would process also crossovers like i would use a different like i do a high pass filter on my uh, left and right and my centers because i know i'm going to be sending all that low and um low end information through my subs and so that's how i do it and the nice thing is I bring my master fader down, everything turns off yeah. and everything stays balanced. I don't have to redo my ratios. And it's nice because I have a digital board with flying faders. So, I mean, whatever. Well, and that works well with like, with if you have fills all over the place too. Yeah. Because yeah. you can send yeah. it to all those fills. Satellites, I mean, fills. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Delay towers. Because that's the point. You can delay, like you can do a matrix out to like a delay tower. So, yeah. Yeah. Now, hopefully oh. some of you out there very confused They're like what's a, a delay, delay tower, tower? <laughs> <laughs> a del oh gosh i'm not gonna go there anyways yeah, um yeah we just open up like, a can of worms that's what i use matrix outs for vcas i use to group my stuff i'll use submixes to group my like if i have background vocals i'll mix them into a mix bus and then i'll run a compressor on them to make those background vocals flow more together like again that's just uh what is it bus compression. I'm just using bus compression and multi-stage compression at that point. And that's all I'm doing. I'm just using studio techniques in the live sound situation. 
He's so fancy. Studio $6,000. It's only a $6,000 board. (laughs) Yeah. Only. So submixes, DCAs and groups. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I guess, yeah, for, for actual practical use, I mean, all of them are very useful and, and like for me, I'll use groups all the time. Like, like Brian was saying, you can edit with them. So when you record drums, um, I'll set up a drum group like as soon as I start recording and okay. then I can do multiple takes with it. And those multiple takes are kind of linked together. And then any, any editing that happens, they all get linked together. So the edit happens across all those tracks. So I get, keep my phase coherency between those. Anytime I record more than one mic on something, I always group them together. Like if I put two mics on acoustic guitar and it's not a stereo track that I'm recording to, I'm going to group them together. If I record a DI for a bass and an, a mic on the amp, I'm going to group them together so that they get recorded and, and edited together if I do that. So grouping is really useful for all those things. And then the next step is like a submix. Like I'll put, I usually only submix my drums. So I have the option to put um, like a compressor or something on the drum bus. But for the most part, I don't really ne- always submix everything else. I'll tell you a yeah. submix use case when people give you multiple kicks that are mm-hmm. sub- like oh, no yeah. or multiple <laughs> snare sounds. Like yeah, no, I I do that too. Yeah, if there's and it'll be a submix box. within a submix. Yeah. So if your drums, yeah. you have like three kick drums and they're submixed to the the kick submix. And the three snares or the snare sub mix, and then all the drums are in the drum sub mix too. Yeah, just true. record it good. Sorry, like, <laughs> I'm a little bitter about that. I've been doing multi tracks like that the last couple weeks, where I'm like, uh, I have like three kick sounds, and they're like, oh, but this one has like the top kick, and this one's got the whap in it really good. This one's got the th-. like. Why don't you just like, I don't know, do better, well, record part, good. Part, part right? of part of <laughs> yeah, record good. good. Thank you. Part of that does come from yeah. Like in, in electronic music, people are doing that because high like people that are really they don't have well good well known do that, and so like oh I like I like the top end of this kick, but I like the mid range of this one, but I really like the like thump of this kick, and so they use all three. But right. and so then other people see that like oh I need to have like ten kicks to get the sound. It's like <laughs> right. no, you you really don't need three if you have a good sample or if you record it well, but in some cases, depending on how dense your mix is, you, you may actually need that many samples though. Yeah. It's kind it. of a just, modern production annoying. technique. Yeah, it is annoying, yeah. but yeah, it's, it, it's, it's true. I mean, even with good, even with a good kick sound, there's something new that can be created by layering some other samples with it and stuff so but but that's not the only offender i mean how many times do you get the di of the guitar or the bass and then like the amp sound of the bass and there's reason behind that it's not bad per se it's just more work and so like when you deal with those larger like track counts you know 50 60 tracks that's a lot of what you're dealing with is like yeah but those are when you're dealing with a song that's like about 120 tracks and uh 60 to 70 of those are guitars and your virtual <laughs> session keeps crashing. Well, and those like, are press play. Some of those are safety nets. So the interesting thing is when I was first, I think one of the first books I read about audio recording, um, right when I was getting into it, 
there was the guy said in there, he's like, your most important tool as an engineer is the mute button. And so it's like, if there's so many of those things, it's like, you have the power to do that as the engineer to put that mute button. And and nowadays, we just do so many things for safety's sake. I mean, literally for me, every time I record a guitar or bass, there's always at least two tracks because there's the DI and the rig. I mean, I use... You do uh, both of them and then you end up just replacing it anyway. Well, you know, yeah. And then I, I mean, there's multiple reasons and I use... I use a, a an interface that has um, modeling in it, and it lets me record the DI as well as the modeled version, and it gives me a safety net. So if I want to, I can change that amp sound later. Sometimes mm-hmm. I'll take that DI and I'll I'll like use it to double the guitar, and so I'll put it through a different amp and maybe take the same kind of pattern from a different part of the song, and so it's like I double tracked it. Um, or maybe I'll layer it with the same, you know, different sound. But anyways, or the bass, you know, maybe I'll take the DI from the bass and use that or put it through a different amp. Um, but like the, some of the, some of the issues we have is we, we have too many safety nets like that. And so yeah, we don't make any decisions while we're right. recording. Which well, I've been uh, there doing was, more lately. Oh, sorry. Go on, Brian. There was, there was an engineer that I, I talked to um, a few years ago. And he said that at, at that time he was getting a lot of mix like mixing clients from um, I think it was like Taiwan, and they would send him these massive sessions that would have like each each track well each guitar track that they recorded they put like four mics on the cab, and he said you know I'll I'll just go through and I'll pick the I'll usually like listen to a few and then I know what the different mics sound like and I'll just pick one. And use just one of them. I don't even like blend. Mm-hmm. He's like, I don't want to have to like worry about That's blending so much those together. Work too. It is, and it's the the funny thing is, in with some of the historical things, you know, some of the benefit of those old recordings are the fact that they had to make decisions. Yeah. You know, when you're doing a three track or four track, it's like you have to make the decisions early on and submix to different tracks and. And you can't just like nowadays, just like, oh, let's just record everything and we'll figure it out later. And then the engineer is the one who has that mute button power. And, you know, it's (laughs) it's interesting, too, um, because like with modern recording, like track count doesn't matter as much. It still does, but not not in the same sense that it used to. I was reading recently, like last week, as I was researching a bunch of like gear and equipment, how the emphasis of technique for recording used to be more placed on the actual recording engineers and mic placement and things like that because um, they didn't have the same capabilities for editing and post-production that we do today. Yeah, all the safety nets. Yeah. Yeah. And so like for them, like they would agonize, just agonize over and like recording engineers would spend so much more time getting proper positioning and all this other stuff for that reason, because they know that if that recording engineer doesn't give a good multi-track or doesn't give good tracks to the mix engineer, um, he's going to get in trouble essentially. Not like in trouble, but you know what I mean? Like it's not going to be good. And it's going to make things more difficult, especially when you don't have the capabilities. Now there are a lot of people who are like, eh, I don't care. Throw a B-52, a sure beta 52 on the uh, tenor saxophone. I'll make it sound good in post. And like, I had a friend say that to me once and, I mean, he did, but like, it was just one of those things where 
like I hate to say that, but like EQ and compression is not a band-aid for poor mic technique. I'm sorry. The I kind of wish some no, yeah. somewhat that we went back to that older style where we we agonized well, a little bit more over mic I, placement. I I, th- I think if you look at like you know the high caliber stuff like what, yeah, what we, they what still we tar- do. yeah they they still work on that but like in right. the home recording you know since you know we there's been a revolution in recording to where you know we're we're doing more of that home home recording stuff and so because of that you know we may not have the most ideal situations we may not have the most ideal gear like i'm using like a what 250 300 mic into okay. like a 700 interface which may seem a lot like a lot to a lot of people, but you know, you can do like, you know, $3,000 for one, one microphone preamp or one um, mic. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, you can do $7,000 for a mic. Yeah. Not including upgrades so. and modifications and all the other crap that people. Yeah. Want. And so, and and then that's not taking into account, you know, the, the room and stuff. And so, you know, they're literally people like engine recording engineers at the higher level still are using their mics as, you know, Kind of like a, a to like paint a picture, whereas yeah, and different colors in their palette. Where, see, whereas a lot, yeah. a lot, a lot of times we have in, in a home recording studio, we've got one mic, maybe two mics to choose between, mm-hmm. and we have to make the best with that. And so, I, I think that's so. Then it, yeah, then then it rely you have to rely more on mixing, and so it's true. That's kind of where, and that's that's kind of the divisor between the professional recording and the home recording is that professional recording, it's just not not just about the cost of equipment and the amount of equipment, but it's about the how they use that equipment. So yeah. it's like deciding which thing, you know, which microphone to use can be a painstaking process. Whereas in the home studio world, it's like, you don't I have, have one mic. Yeah. Yeah. It's like so, I got your Audio mic. Technica 2020. So, like, yeah. And then which, which honestly is not a bad mic. Oh, great. <laughs> oh, yeah. But yeah, and then more time is spent, oh, which EQ do I use or what do I do to it afterwards? Where in my experience, those times I've been able to record in really good environments and really good studios, um, the mixing is like so much of a breeze because it's like, yeah, oh, this sounds really good. It's been mixed as I mean, you go, basically. Even the voiceover for our intro we recorded that and the voiceover artist was so great and my studio is great, you know, cause it is. And the mic that I, that we used, and we used Omni in the room and it sounded really good and really full, not boomy or anything. Um, it's like, there's hardly any processing on that voiceover at all. We ran it through a compressor. We used that compressor for it, but like, I don't think we used, I think I used a teeny bit of EQ to add some top end on it, but really that was pretty minimal. It's not like there was all this EQ contour and stuff. And there's like nothing you need to, it it comes through the mix nicely because the the vocal mic that's used is really good for it. And it's a good pairing with his voice. And so, and that's the thing. If you, if you actually do the time to, to get the recording in good and get a good mic and and the mic that pairs best with the source, place it, what space, how to yeah, even convert spaces. Like I know with like a lot of things we have to deal with. Um, anyways, Brian, Ben, finish what you're saying. I'm sorry. I, yeah, no, I mean, just saying that like, then it just makes it easier. And like, like I said, the voiceover on the intro, I mean, that is, that is like mic preamp compressor and very subtle EQ. 
you know, and it's all because it was that chain is a is is all good selection, you know. Right. And he did a great job. He's had a great voice and, and did a great job on it. But you can do that on everything. Like if you actually record, like I've done it with acoustic guitar and vocal, where you're barely touching any EQ on either one of those because the choice of the guitar and the choice of the mics and the choice of the mics on the the mic on the voice is all so well done that maybe you had a touch of reverb and a little bit of compression and maybe very subtle EQ and you're good you know maybe no not even any EQ that's kind of why it will that, that's exactly why um you know a lot of like a a list artists they have like their their particular setup. Like there's, there's certain artists that won't, won't even touch a studio if it doesn't have a Sony C8, a C8000 and a, um, and a CL1B. You have to have those because they know that that's the chain that they use for their engineer and their engineer can get that and it basically is like mix itself. Yeah. Um, yeah. Sorry. I, mm, I get that, but, <laughs> but I also, but, but but, but that's also why that's that's at videos, a completely different level. You'll watch yeah. videos of some of these artists like doing stuff in their own studios and everything sounds really good right away and you don't realize that they have this vocal chain that they have like gone into the professional studios and figured it out and it's like totally rock solid like yeah, vocal right. chain, you know. So I have a little I have a little bit of a freaking soapbox I want to get on right Uh-oh. now. Um, I'm, I'm like, I was thinking about this at a gig one time, like a week ago. And I was like sitting there and I was like, man, I'd love to just mix in an environment that didn't suck. <laughs> like as a live sound engineer who like sets up outside, that's like the, the best. I, I hate to use, I use quote words, the best environment I get to mix. And that's not even true when you have a freaking building like right next to your like left main. Um, or wind. Yeah, or wind, wind yeah. any, Like a million other things that can go wrong. Rain. Humidity. Like, uh, I got rained out on Friday. Anyways, it's like some people don't understand or appreciate the level of work that it takes a live sound engineer to make something sound decent. Uh, and and yeah. like I, I deal with this every freaking day and like people like especially at work because I work predominantly with musicians. I'm really the only audio person in my job and and they're like, oh, it just sounds so good. I'm like, you don't hear anything. And I'm like, I'm not going to bother telling them how bad it sounds because they're just like, oh, it sounds so good. It's like, but you'll mix in gymnasiums and that's a horrible environment to mix into. <laughs> oh like gosh. I've done that so many times. You remember <laughs> you remember the gig where the, that the was, artist that was, was like, awful. That was awful. <laughs> so I had hired Bryant for this gig and the, the artist was like, oh, I need more low end. And I was like, we're in a gymnasium. <laughs> you, you don't understand. Like yeah. that creates so many more problems. And this is, I guess, another point. One, I would love to mix an environment that's an engineered. And then you look at these record studios that are like from the ground up, that space was engineered so that they can get the best possible results. Like we're talking like insulation is selected for audio and that's not every single you know studio, but like there are studios that are like that where it's like the way that the cement foundation was poured, the way that they laid the floors, the way that they designed the walls, the way the space of the room, the, uh, the, the, doors, the shape of the room, 
the yep. lights that they're using to prevent like excess noise and, and a bajillion other things. I don't want to get into that. That's yeah. a whole different world. But like, and then I'm a live sound engineer and I have to go out into the world and, oh yeah, we'll just make this work. Like, I'm just going to throw some speakers out there and hope, you know, EQ the car. And I guess another point from this is when you have to reach for tools like equalization and compression to fix problems, that's already kind of an indication that the recording didn't come out exactly right. That's not a bad thing. It's just the truth. And like, no. it's not wrong to EQ or compress and some things need it. And like, there are certain like expectations, obviously, but if you're already hearing problems and flaws and you start reaching for those things to remove that mud or those problems, that kind of tells you a little bit there that you're not necessarily working in a perfect environment. And that's okay. I mean, I do it all freaking day. <laughs> well, I, I think that the, the trap that I get into personally while I'm tracking mm -hmm. is that I will get, I will listen to the sound source by itself. And I'm thinking about that particular sound source by itself, but not as a mix. Mm -hmm. And so then w once I record it and I get everything done, I'm like, oh, wow, I've got all this buildup in the low mids that I need to cut from basically everything because nobody needs, nothing needs to live there except for maybe nothing um, <laughs> nothing um, nothing lives in the low mids yeah. Except for a little vocal one. No, no, nobody nobody likes likes low mids <laughs> little guitar little. no no guitar yeah no. but but then if you if you do go into a mix you know thinking you know how how can i record this in a way that i'm well if you go into tracking how can i record this in a way that i'm not going to mix then you kind of think of the whole picture. Whereas I, I feel like a lot of people kind of lose sight of the, they're not looking at the whole picture from the beginning. Yeah. And you, you have to be thinking about the whole picture from the beginning in order to avoid um, using excessive EQ or using excessive compression. And yeah, sometimes which, you're locked in because of the arrangement or the uh, other factors. You're sometimes locked into the decisions you have to make. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's tough because it's hard to know what that's supposed to sound like. And the real way to do that is is experience, um, and especially when you get, yeah, and especially when you get a mix sounding good, that's when you like solo and you're like, what does my guitar actually sound like now that it works in the mix? And then when you get an idea right. of what guitar sounds like when it's working in the mix, then you can actually have an idea what to aim for when you're recording. I sometimes get into fights with my instrumentalists because they're all running in ears. And I'm like, oh, it doesn't sound super good because I'm EQing on the track so that it fits the mix. And it's like, I'm sorry. Like, you need to do a pre, pre EQ, you. pre right, EQ like, send. Pre, I guess I should do that. <laughs> you I can do like, that. I'm I've had that problem with people that. where you like, I had this room that I did live sound in and it was like so low, heavy. So everything was just like, we had like high pass filters, like crazy on everything. And then you get the performers that are complaining about how everything sounds too tinny. And so we had to set it up. And it was like this whole crazy routing procedure on this board because there wasn't just a simple pre-EQ um, option. But like basically to give them a thicker sounding, you know, so we could still mix it for the room, but then there. We totally got on this like totally different tangent. <laughs> I was thinking about nothing to do. Nothing yeah, had, to do with submixes and groups and VCAs, but 
but it was cool. It was cool. Well, I mean, I honestly, I think it needs, I think it's not wrong to go these places and stuff. No, I know it's yeah. maybe not directly related to the topic, but hey, I mean, and, as long as our viewers are happy, doesn't hey, that what I, really matters? I, I, I think that, I think that like what we talk about generally is boiling down to that, to that concept though of like, Hey, like, you know, we're not, we're not necessarily targeting like the high end studio and high end studios, you know, they're able to do these kinds of things and that's cool. But like, kind of like use what we have, you know, like right. if you only have one mic, that's the best mic that you, that that's the best mic for you. Yeah. At, at wow. that point, I totally <laughs> the agree. best, the best tools that you have are the tools you have available to you right now. And there are a lot of people that have done amazing recordings with Scarlet's, yeah. with hundred dollar AT twenty twenties from Audio Technica. I'm not saying that's a Why bad. Why do you SM fifty seven? SM fifty seven. Well, fifty. I think the either fifty seven or fifty eight was used um, on that. Uh, I forget. I forget the name of the band, but uh, you know, Sweet Dreams. Sweet Dreams are made of these. Oh yeah, yeah. That song. Yeah. Yep. That well, was, um, all I'm saying is on a fifty eight. So. So why can't I have a 58 during these podcasts? That's all I'm asking. Because <laughs> we're, we're exclusively using condensers. <laughs> yes. Well, I didn't. I didn't. And your I don't 58 just yes didn't sound very good. It's just your care. 58. <laughs> you, need to, you need to 58. add some like. You need to, you need to add some like uh, no, a lot of high end on that. But you know the the the, the point with that yeah. is that a good engineer can make a great recording with minimal equipment right okay yeah. a good a good engineer can make an amazing recording with amazing equipment a bad engineer can make a bad recording with minimal equipment and they can make mediocre recording with amazing equipment yeah so it's more yeah. about the engineer and the skill behind it than about the equipment the equipment will help but i even tell students i'm like you know, you guys complain about the studio you're working in and, and stuff, and it's not as good. And I'm like, if I get one of the engineers of the local studios to come in here, they will produce an amazing sound and recording with the equipment that we have here. Yeah. And and it's it's true. It's just it's yeah. up to the engineer. And I've seen exactly that happen. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in to GWNL. Oh no, no, you don't get get out of here. This, this is GWNL. GWNL. <laughs> you sound like a radio station. This is GWNL signing off. Mix good, everybody. Go out and mix good this week, soldiers. <laughs> mix good. Mix, mix good. good. There we go. I got Ben to say. Let's go. It's been a good week. Awesome. And this is GWNL podcast signing off. Have a good day. All right.